Greetings, I'm Laura Pucha Valtorta. Welcome to episode 25 of my podcast, B is for Bisexual. This story is called Jerry O. The Machine. It's a futuristic fantasy. But first, I want to call your attention to the novel written by my friend entitled Redemption. The author is Carolyn Hartley. It's an historical fiction piece about the coal mining community in West Virginia. Carolyn, who is in my writer's group, has spent a lot of time in West Virginia, researching the history and talking to the folks there. Redemption is part of a series and it features some strong female characters, family drama, and history about farmers' strikes and the coal mining life in the 1930s and 40s. I hope you all pick up a copy on Amazon, Redemption, by Carolyn Harley. My own collection of short stories, Tall, Sarcastic Tales, is also available on Amazon, and it features the first few stories from B is for Bisexual. Lots of good things are happening on Amazon these days. They also have my films like Bermuda, Disability, The Art House, and Queen of the Road. And Bermuda and Disability are also available on the channel Tubi, T-U-B-I. A shout out to listeners in Stockton, California, Omaha, Nebraska, New York, South Carolina, Alabama, and Texas. Joining me in the reading of my short story today are Marco, a computer scientist. Hi! And Dante, a musician. Hello, it's me. And now, Jerry-O. It was just as Carmen imagined. Jerry Sizemore dedicated his comedy podcasts to his current wife, Jelly, Jellico, calling her the love of his life, but in person, in bed at night, when she told him that her sister's third wedding was on March 15th in Florida and that she needed to take the kids with her, Jerry rolled over with a smile on his face. He said, whatever. But the idea of time off without his family obviously delighted him. Carmen could see the smile. She was in the bed next to Jerry, but Jerry didn't know. Neither did Jelly. Carmen was in South Carolina taking a virtual break from late-night work. Jerry was at home in Long Island. It was 2075, and they were both 115 years old. Carmen and Jerry lived with their families. Carmen couldn't believe that in the latter half of the 21st century, scientists still hadn't resolved the conundrum of family. Everybody had one. Everybody resented them. Pregnancy had been done away with. Gestation occurred in a laboratory. So why were people forced to live in a smelly group home for a hundred years, growing tall, battling puberty, with parents who never understood one another or the children or what people really wanted, which, according to Carmen, was to spy on strangers' lives. In the partial list of What Do We Want?, the great goddess, the writer Margaret Atwood, had listed in an essay in Burning Questions, we want the cloak of invisibility so we can snoop on other people without being seen. We want to be as gods. Carmen agreed with that assessment. 
So the transport room left to her by her mentor, attorney Judith Littman, was well used, once a day at least, around 3 p.m. It was a secret invention by the five-foot-tall lawyer Littman, unaccepted by the scientific world, because they said people needed touch. They said healthy people needed to experience reality in person. Virtual visits and material invasions. Carmen said poop to all that social science. With the transport room, Carmen could spy on people, staying invisible and inaudible. Or, with a turn of the knob, she could appear material in their lives, her puff of frizzy hair visible and touchable, her sarcastic voice heard aloud, full of jokes and reproach. So, at first, she spied virtually on the comedian Jerry Sizemore, lay next to him in his bed, but she schemed to meet him in person. Even at 115, Jerry was still a well-known comedian who performed virtually in people's robocars as they were being shifted to and from work or compadre lunches. He often joked about families, this one with Jelly being Jerry's family number five. Carmen found him to be naive and facetious. He took advantage of these women and victimized his own children. Jerry and Jelly, Jelly and Jerry. What about his other ex-wives, Susan, Sasha, and Jessica? What about the singing career of Renata, his ex-lover? Carmen wanted to challenge all that. Carmen had a plan. She would be his muse. She deserved this. Carmen had written funny stories. Carmen had directed hilarious movies. She could invent a backstory for herself and appear in Jerry's life materially, not just virtually. They could write comedy together. She would mesmerize Jerry, inject his brain with memory and intention to give her credit in his shows and to appreciate women his own age. Forget about these juvenile wives. With the transport brain injection, he would never know what hit him. Jerry was well advertised as a Luddite, while Carmen, who was married to Alberto, a computer scientist, had absorbed enough scientific knowledge since 1981 to launch a virtual rocket to the moon. The spouses would be out of the way. Jelly's sister Jam was getting married in March. Jerry would be alone for a week. And Alberto, Carmen's husband, was driving an old driver-dependent car to Boone, North Carolina to visit Mohammed and strategize about robot research. The time was ripe to launch her comedy career and make it happen. On March 12th, Carmen directed the house robot, Rhonda, to bake a small personal pizza for Alberto and pack it in a bio-food carrier. Ti voglio bene, said Alberto, who was born and raised in Italy. Ci vedremo tra tre giorni. He gave her a big hug and kissed her on the cheek. Alberto and his former student, Mohammed, had planned this work in collaboration for months. They were developing a robot money manager who looked like Bernie Sanders and practiced the Sharia laws of money lending. You don't mind? Alberto had asked her more than once. You could come along, but we would be working on Bernie all day. The last thing I want to see, 
Carmen reassured him, is Bernie's guts all over the table. This trip was serendipitous. She couldn't wait for Alberto to leave. Once his ancient Tesla turned the corner, she went to try on pantsuits and dinner gowns that would please Jerry. Her smart mirror estimated what he might like. Body morphing, butt squeezing, back bracing. All of it scored a low five out of a hundred. But she settled on a black everyday pantsuit with purple trainers and an elegant wine-colored two-piece dress suitable for the spring in New York State. Her eyes looked bright and eager, but there was no denying her 115 years. The good thing was, Jerry looked even worse. At the office on a Saturday, Carmen watched drones chasing homeless people off the porch. They all slumped over to the technical church across the street. She slid open the front door of her building and went upstairs. The transport room, with its transport bubble, was waiting for her. She stepped inside, pronounced Jerry's Long Island address, and turned the knob to material. Brain injection. injection. Weeks before, she had composed the backstory, bubble narrative, that would enable Jerry to accept her presence in his house. Two days prior, the, the electronic narrative was then injected virtually into Jerry's brain and to, into Jellico's brain. It rode the internet into their minds. The narrative was the fictional story of a New York film festival none of them had actually attended. According to the narrative, Carmen had won the contest for Best Feature Film. Jerry and Jelly had loved her film characters. They had all agreed after the awards ceremony for her to visit his house and collaborate on writing his next virtual stand-up tour. They would write his jokes together. Carmen would be credited in his virtual comedy show and get paid. The brain injection was a red carpet of false memories, agreements, and introductions that Jerry and his wife would hopefully accept as true. Carmen rubbed her hands together. This all might work, or not. The transport room was ready. Carmen initiated the painful transport portion of the journey by saying the word lift off to the bubble. She closed her eyes, and to take her mind off the x-rays burning and pulling at her body, she recited her list of five basic ideas for Jerry's jokes. Number one, my chi exercises. Do your own thing. Number two, the best Jewish grandma in the world is an endocrinologist. Number three, let's make fun of the Irish. Number four, third grade, a virtual reality horror show. And number five, squeeze me and please me, wavering between weight loss and weight gain tablets. She had a million of them. This was lucky because the transport from South Carolina to Long Island took an unendurable five minutes. She finally opened her eyes in the Sizemore's guest bedroom, the vial of acceptance serum in a packet by her side, along with an old-fashioned short-needle syringe. Carmen had invented the serum herself by crushing some old antihypertensive drugs and mixing them with a couple of special mushrooms she grew inside an old biodegradable cooler. She might need this if Jerry hated her jokes. 
Her power to convince people had never been all that strong. The Sizemore's guest bedroom was yellow and frilly, and it had several windows looking out into, onto Jerry's antique car museum. There was a large skylight with blinds pressed between two panes of glass and three ro remote controls laid out on the table. In her previous visits as an invisible spy, she had never ventured into this room. Lunch! A woman's voice shouted from down the stairs. Shit, Jelly was still at home. Carmen straightened and stretched her body after the painful journey. She found the stairs and descended into the kitchen. The current children, Journey and Ginny, were already seated at the table, diving into mushroom salad and air-fried potato pancakes. Jelly, who wore an apron, smiled and seemed to recognize Carmen. Have a seat, she said, and handed Carmen a plate. The brain injection had worked. The mushroom salad, which was vinegary and delicious, contained five different types of mushrooms. Carmen, who was born gender-oppressed in 1958, was beginning to worry she'd be expected to cook for the next three days when she saw the chef robot in the corner withdrawing the pancakes from the fryer. Tastes so good, she told Jelly with her mouth full. It's my recipe, said Jelly, jabbing an index finger into her chest. The way Jelly said this, so proud of a mixture of salt, vinegar, lemon juice, oil, and mushrooms from an upscale farmer's market, put Jelly's narcissism on display. Carmen considered how eager Jerry would be to discuss the world with her, Carmen, a humble person. Then again, all of Jerry's wives had been narcissists. Maybe he preferred women that way. Jerry walked in barefoot wearing a t-shirt, sweater, and jeans. He was so handsome and fit for 115. Carmen was glad to see the HR housekeeper robot placing the kids' clothes and games in the travel portal along with a large box of Jelly's jewelry. The trip to the wedding was apparently still on. Jerry took a stack of three potato can pancakes and three squeeze-me tablets on his plate. Maybe she'd have to go easy on the weight control jokes. Mentally, she replaced the diet story with fun at the Pentagon Petting Zoo. The Sizemores kept a succession of cats to entertain their succession of children. Maybe they liked animals. Journey and Ginny, who said very little, finished eating and hugged Jerry goodbye. Get some work done, said Jelly. Earn some money. She herded the sullen children downstairs. Carmen was surprised to see that the family did not travel by personal chopper. Once upon a time, the Sizemores would have had the money. But that was a long time ago, and Jerry had 15 children. Journey is looking so tall and pretty, said Carmen once the family had laughed. He's transitioned, said Jerry, frowning. I really wanted him to stay a boy. Carmen did not know how to respond. If Jerry had felt closer to her, she would have said support Journey in her journey. But she was unsure how intimate the brain injection had made her and Jerry's life. Were they friends? Sex partners? I really enjoyed the New York Film Festival, said Carmen. 
Jerry smiled. As usual, I did too. He said. Your film was great, and that Sammy Wagner was such a snake. Carmen tossed her head back and slapped the table, pretending to laugh. Ha ha ha. She had no idea who Sammy Wagner was or whether or not her film had been a hit at the festival. Legal work, two trials, had kept her away, and the virtual festival had told her nothing about audience reaction or how the popcorn smelled. Her film, entitled Bermuda, had received second place in the comedy division. Next year, she would attend the film festival in person, but she'd have to write and produce another project. Before sitting down to write joke material, they decided to take a walk into town. The grounds around Jerry's antique car museum were outfitted with five carbon converters, the big ones that worked noiselessly with solar panels. They had artwork painted on the sides by neighborhood children. Some of the murals were pretty good, but Carmen couldn't help think she should have hired local artists, the real grown-up ones, to paint the converters. With adult years stretching on longer and longer, professional artists struggled with their works, spinning in and out of fashion for three or four times before they finally died. Carmen and Jerry sat down at a local beer and coffee joint run by a man-to-woman named Winifred, according to his nameplate. Hi, Fred, said Jerry. Bring us a couple of cups of your strongest coffee and four cinnamon donuts, will you? He turned to Carmen. I still have trouble with gender reassignments after all these years. Should we write a skit about that? Jerry shook his head. I can't do that, you know. Two of my kids have transitioned and it's killing me. And Journey is working on it with the doctor. Excuse me, their doctor. Speaking of kids, we should do something about the Pentagon petting zoo. Kangaroos on nuclear submarines. I think that's funny. Jerry narrowed his eyes. You know, I took Journey and Jane to the Pentagon exhibit. They loved that. We laughed about it for weeks. <sighs> Carmen sighed, thinking about Jerry and all his children. It was boring and unfunny to think about Jerry as a dad. In the earlier, funnier years, he had always been so against marriage. Marriage was a downer. She was glad she had only married once and stopped at two children. As the donuts and coffee arrived, Jerry dumped out a couple of squeeze-me tablets. What we really should flesh out is your skit about yo-yo dieting. Please me. Squeeze me. We talked about that all day at the festival. Good old Jerry remained unabashed about making fun of himself and his peccadillos. Raising children and marriage was just a side gig. Carmen wished she had bodily attended the festival and could remember it. It sounded like fun. They worked on the Please Me, Squeeze Me skit and constructed the entire joke at the coffee shop, including notes. Back at Jerry's house, Carmen began at the top of her joke list. My cheese, she said. Let's do that one now. We planned that one out already, he reminded her. You know, the butt-slapping routine, dancing to ludicrous. Did we choreograph it, Carmen asked. 
Yeah, don't you remember? Not really, said Carmen. Huh. Colander brain. Let me remind you. One of the things I liked most about you at the festival was how fast you worked. The skits came. Bing! 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 If I didn't like it out an idea, I would just toss it out immediately. That bubble narrative description of herself stated, always ready to rumble. The writing of this description of herself had taken five minutes, but becoming the perfect Carmen she had constructed was not so easy. Back at the Sizemore house, Carmen pretended she was old friends with Jerry. Oh, I changed to a different person one-on-one. She elbowed Jerry in the ribs. There's the film festival Carmen and the house guest Carmen. Two different people. Jerry stared at her with his close-together eyes. Far out. You told me you were married to a computer scientist. He said. You must be smarter than me. I only marry socialites and models. They quickly worked out five other skits. Carmen, who was nervous in person, but a good worker, had spent so much preparation time honing her ideas and watching virtual replays of Jerry's shows that she had everything worked out in her head. She had an excellent memory and a bonkers imagination. At the end of the day, Jerry promised to pay her 1,000 NFTs and give her written credit as a writer, which was more than she had expected. She was in with the Sizemores, but as a business partner, not as a friend. The Sizemore living room was small and old-fashioned, too frilly, not her taste at all. The Carmen Limone house was like a steel drum. Carmen savored a memory of Alberto with his squishy toes propped up next to her in their steel concrete wood palace. Alberto had told her, You can't write comedy. Nothing spurred her on more than a man telling her she couldn't do something. They sat around in Jerry's house listening to music. Man, I miss Jelly, said Jerry. You know, we always watch the classic Robot Island together. Alberto, my husband, will be back at home tomorrow. You know, you could just go home a day early, said Jerry. And I could arrange it. There was no suggestion of sex or even virtual sex. Carmen also was becoming bored. Carmen packed her bag and sent it through the virtual portal. She couldn't return the same way she had arrived through the transport bubble, so she accepted Jerry's offer of a rental chopper. The pilot was a cute guy from Ukraine. If she had taken the transport bubble back to her office, she would have missed out on this guy's smile. Back in her sleek, modern kitchen at home, Alberto was full of enthusiasm about his weekend with Mohammed and their burgeoning robot. We built it to look exactly like Bernie, he said, bald and wearing big mittens. But he figures home mortgages like an imam on a sliding scale of ownership. That's good. The real Bernie was always beloved by Muslim women. That night... Carmen was full of remorse about the New York Film Festival she had missed three months earlier. It was like a world of sights, smells, and memories sucked into a black hole. The next year, she'd have to go, and that would have to do. 
She had an idea for a film about Mai Chi. And one of the judges they promised was the aged but still sharp as a bayonet, Chris Boulder. And that's the end of our story. We'll see you later. And now, Marco, would you like to say something? I enjoyed reading the story and building the robot. I enjoyed reading the story, and a thought that I have today is that I hope that I was able to capture the essence of Jerry. Thank you. And goodbye, dear listener.